Welcome to Deckert's Committed Capital. This is an episode of Sidecar, a special bite-sized discussion of the latest market issues. Hello, welcome to Committed Capital Sidecar, Deckert's ad hoc bite-sized podcast covering quick updates on developments that will affect private equity. My name is Mark Evans, and I'm a private equity partner in our corporate and securities group based in our London office. In this episode, we'll be talking about the rep and warranty insurance market, focusing on current market trends and future developments. I'm delighted to be joined today by leading rep and warranty insurance experts in the industry, Craig Schioppo and Emily Standen from Marsh JLT Specialty. Welcome to you both. Why don't we jump right in? So the first question, Emily, let us know how the M&A insurance market is going. Has anything changed materially since last year in terms of insurance appetite, popular and unpopular sectors and pricing? Sure. Hi, Mark. This is Emily Standen. I'm joined with my colleague, Craig Schiappo, as you mentioned. We're happy to be here today. Uh, a primary driver of what we're seeing as the current insurer appetite in the market to underwrite specific transactions is the frothiness of the M&A market. Carriers across the board right now are inundated with deals and requests to quote deals. Um, and as a result, they can be and, and they are being highly particular with the deals they choose to, to actually underwrite. Um, we're seeing high levels of declinations across the board from insurers, particularly for small deals, um, limits, for example, of $3 million or $5 million, deals that are on really aggressively tight timetables, deals that have too many layers of complexity, for example, maybe a super high rollover coupled with unaudited financials and no buyer quality of earnings report, um, for example, could lead to a declination to quote. Um, and also deals that we're seeing come in in traditionally less favorable sectors like healthcare, Medicare, Medicaid, insurance, and the financial sector. So in all of those types of deals, as I said, we're seeing carriers um, be highly selective and in many cases um, decline to quote. Interesting. Interesting. You're also seeing a trend, you know, the continuation of the trend of insurers becoming more specific and rigid in their policy language related to that. And regardless of how that language may deviate from the agreed position in the transaction documents, are we seeing the insurers continue to be very rigid? We are. What's been interesting in the past, I'd say, six to 12 months, we've seen a, a large uptick in claims. Um, just kind of across the board that, you know, coming out of, out of transactions. And, um, because of that, we're seeing an increase in premiums across the board. And then also, as you mentioned, kind of a tightening of what carriers are willing to agree to and what, in terms of representation language and the deemed changes that carriers will require to policies. Um, as I mentioned, it's driven by, by claims history. Um, areas, for example, where we've seen a high number of claims in the past year would be um, undisclosed liabilities, for example, customers and supplier relationships, material contracts with customers and suppliers and otherwise. Um, all those areas have really been kind of hot spots for carriers, and we've seen so many claims uh, both coming in and being paid out by carriers in the past year in those areas. And I think a lot of carriers are seeing this uptick in claims being tied to kind of the increasingly broader and broader and more buyer-friendly sets of representations that we're seeing come across the acquisition agreements in the market. And 
a broad set of reps is, is a good thing in a lot of ways, of course, because it offers, of course, the buyer comfort around the state of the business that they're buying, and it also offers carrier's comfort that the buyer went through a broad and full diligence process and that they performed their diligence and that seller disclosed without regard to materiality thresholds. Um, but simultaneously, we're also seeing an interesting correction in the market, which you alluded to, which is kind of a pairing back of what carriers will cover in terms of representation, particularly in the areas that I mentioned and sort of the broad language we're seeing there um, as a reaction to the claims um, that we're seeing in those areas. Understood, understood. Yeah, I find it particularly interesting given the push to have the insurance market pick that liability up from from sellers more and more, which makes it almost the negotiation of terms somewhat easier as between buyer and seller. But it's interesting to understand how the insurance market is effectively attempting to moderate that. So I think then just moving on to, to another question, we've obviously we've spoken about the now, um, but where are you seeing the market going next? Are there any trends of note which you'd expect to continue or conversely, is there anything that you expect to change or develop in the near term? Hi, Mark. It's Craig Schiappo, and I uh, echo Emily's sentiments about you having us on this podcast. Uh, the the market is interesting. I mean, there's all those trends that Emily just talked about, and, and one point to add to it is just diligence, which I will touch on, diligence that buyers are doing with respect to getting coverage. But the two big areas where we've been getting more inquiry is really in SPACs and secondaries. Um, obviously, we all know that the very robust back world right now, and people are looking to use rep and warranty in the same traditional manner. They used it in regular buyouts or corporate deals, and it's a little more difficult. We are getting some done, but they kind of need to fall into a particular bucket, which is generally they need to look and feel like a traditional deal, that the traditional diligence is being done, that the seller is a known entity or entity, the buyers are known to have used this insurance before, etc. Otherwise, some of the run-of-the-mill facts where the parties really aren't unknown and it's fly-by-night, pick a target, uh, and try to use rep and warranty, we find particularly difficult. As far as secondary transactions, those have always been a little difficult. Quite frankly, that relates to my previous comment, it's the diligence aspect. There seems to be very little diligence done in those deals because in essence you're almost selling to yourself or to a new fund. So when you look at it, you don't see quality earnings reports, robust legal due diligence memos or other areas of expertise in the traditional lines that that business happens to be in. So they find it quite challenging. Our carriers are certainly used to pivoting and being nimble, but there is kind of a baseline of documents, review, questions that need to be answered by any insured that need to be satisfied before you could really get coverage in any of those areas. Just to go back real quickly to add to Emily's comments on claims, it's not just claims. I, I will say there's been a little bit of slippage, not by everyone, but in certain places where diligence is being done at such a record pace um, and deals are being turned around in you know a week or so instead of two to three, that carriers are really looking to see the breadth of diligence that's been done before they will cover everything. So you might see some real heightened risks and quotes, areas of underwriting focus, 
And quite frankly, if there is a decent area of a risk that wasn't thoroughly vetted by an insured, carriers may put down an exclusion in that area. Understood, understood. And so I, I guess the theme running through all of this is the more robust your process, particularly around diligence and the sort of, you know, the time taken to get under the hood of the target business is, is absolutely crucial in maximizing not only your ability to get coverage as a buyer, but also your ability to maximize the quality of that coverage. Correct, correct. Agree 100% there. Absolutely. Thank you. And then, so moving on, I think, to my next question, which is around sort of innovation in the sector. So last year, we saw, I think, a lot of innovation in the sector and some very interesting new products coming to market. And I was wondering if there had been any interesting new products or technology which has been introduced over the last few months or, you know, the last year, which might benefit providers of private capital. Sure. Well, I think you're still seeing an uptick in, in tax policies as people become more aware of them. Um, certain contingent liability policies, which protect against certain legal outcomes and in lawsuits. Uh, the big one that I've heard about, and it's much more of an overseas phenomenon in Europe, is synthetic policies, where there's no one really standing behind reps. You're only getting them based in the policy. The agreement doesn't even have them. I've seen that a few times with my overseas colleagues, especially where there's administrators and there's a bankrupt company and no one really can know whether the reps are true or not. Um, so that diligence has to be done to get coverage on those reps so that you can prove they're true and proper disclosure schedules, et cetera. Not really a policy that's being done in the U.S. at all um, or North America for that matter. It's um, not something that, I've seen other than once in my 17 years, and I'm not really sure you're going to see an uptick of that in the States or North America, perhaps partly because the bandwidth issue as it is. Carriers are full capacity, and um, they really don't want to put out capital in an area they're uncomfortable with. Understood. Yeah, I can see that. I think the, you know, obviously the risk profile of, coverage in sort of the synthetic universe just feels higher and unless the sort of market is willing to bear much enhanced pricing in order to effectively offset that risk then i mean well you know i can see that there's probably likely to be limited uptake in the near term we've heard lots of discussions around synthetic policies etc but we've not really seen them coming online in practice significantly um, though we have heard them discussed as being a potential offering to be used as a, um, a tactic in competitive auction bids in order to simplify the transaction execution even more from a sell-side standpoint. And so it may be that we, we see some pressure in that direction, but again, that's not yet come online, um, certainly on, on this side of the pond, other than um, having been discussed a few times. Yeah, I agree. I, I still think that discussion is even further ahead than it is in North America. And again, I think it has to do with carriers' bandwidth, how much business they already have, that stepping back in a time when they're triaging at times to get deals done, um, they don't really have the, the time to go look and figure it out. Now, will that change in the future with respect to both SPACs and secondaries and synthetics? I think so. I think the, the market's always looking for a way to expand its footprint. 
but I believe since fourth quarter last year, where we all know that um, it hasn't slowed down after a six-month hiatus due to the pandemic. Um, people are just trying to make their numbers, keep staff, and, and service the, the deals that they're comfortable doing through the past few years. Understood. Understood. Greg, Emily, thank you so much. That was absolutely brilliant, incredibly informative. Thank you for your time today. And uh, we look forward to speaking to you again soon on developments in the market. Appreciate the opportunity. Great joining you today. You can find all of our resources at www.deca.com, including other committed capital podcasts as they become available. And don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Thank you.